0: really looking to see where our training for 2023 is going to be. Where do we need to focus? We've done a good job in this area, but we still need to improve in this area. And we'll start at the end of this year, trying to tailor the training to that. And the micro learning, the weekly updates again, will be more tailored to that while not forgetting everything else, hopefully.
1: Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving, those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain, people who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, everyone. This is David Wright, and I'm your host of the Disruptive Innovators, Champions of Digital Business podcast. And this afternoon, I'm joined by Tom Ferrucci. Tom, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you, David. How are you? I'm
1: great. It's a, a pleasure to have you. Tom, tell our listeners a little bit about your current role.
0: Sure. I am uh, the uh, chief information office here at NACCO uh, Home Group. We are headquartered here in Rhode Island, and we are manufacturers and distributors of flooring, uh, rugs primarily. You also do some other home decor items but company itself is a little over hundred years old. I think we just celebrated our 105th anniversary. So we've been around for quite some time. And my role here is to help manage and oversee the IT systems at all of our locations. At our headquarters here, we also have two uh, large manufacturing sites, one in Dalton, Georgia, and we also have a site up in uh, Sanford, Maine, we also do quite a bit of uh, importing as well. And we manage some smaller sites in uh, California that make a couple of smaller product lines, but uh, really, really great product lines for us. But this role is a newly created role here at NACO. I've been here a little over a year and a half. There had been uh, no C level in the IT area, but uh, they recognized, I think, the importance of growing the business and the commitment to move forward and, and advance. And uh, the role was created and fit into some really strong members of the team here. And, and hopefully we're trying to make a difference here.
1: Yeah. And this is the trend we're seeing in a number of different businesses that are large businesses, but never really always had an IT presence, but now need a, a strategic minded like, person like yourself to really come in and, and steer the ship, particularly during a particularly volatile time with cybersecurity concerns and needing to innovate. So I'll look forward to hearing a little bit more about your vision for the organization, but before we get into that, we like to start, what's one piece of actionable advice you'd love to give our listeners today?
0: You know, I think one of the things I've learned and been doing this for so many years is to try to become a good listener, right? I think a lot of times we engage with our colleagues and we will work with them and and try to collaborate with them, but we sometimes will listen in a way that we're responding or building a reply to, to some of their questions or some of their concerns about things. And really, at its core, they're really we're all trying to hit the same objective, right? We're all trying to make sure the business grows, becomes more profitable. And the ability to really listen to them and take apart what they're getting at and what the core or kernel of what we need to get to, I think, is critical. instead of really trying to just build a response or you know become defensive, I think, you know which is kind of human nature at times. I think that's maybe the one thing that I've gotten out of all all you know many years of of doing this is really, Trying to really hear what they're saying, you know, they may be frustrated at times, they may be excited at times, and I think it's all coming from a good place. But to really truly understand what they're saying, and you know, try to ask good questions instead of becoming, "Hey, this is we're doing it this way because of X, Y, or Z." reason. I think that's really the one thing I've learned is because you're going to get a lot of different perspectives from a lot of people, both inside of IT and obviously within the uh, the business uh, units themselves, and It's all great stuff, right? I think uh, at its core, there's really some good things to be learned from that.
1: Yeah, that's a great distinction, a great reminder, truly listening versus waiting for my turn to speak. I agree. I I like to think that I've become a pretty good listener on the podcast.
0: I think it's part of your job too, but I think, you know, it's one that I've learned over time is, you know, I don't have all the answers to everything. Uh, And as I grow, uh, you know, more experienced, you you learn that uh, you definitely have all the answers. You don't have all the answers to everything. And, you know, trying to really hone in on the concern is what the issue is. It does take a, you know, more than just, all right, I'm building a response. That's not really the approach. Right.
1: And I think that a surefire way to build true human connection too when you're truly listening to someone, I think people can sense that. And in my experience, that level of human connection is a sign of good leadership. So,
0: yeah, you know, I think we deal obviously, you know, in a technical world, but, uh, you know, I was having a conversation with our CEO earlier this week and a lot of what we do in IT is about relationships, right? Obviously, we need the business units to trust us and know what we're doing. And we need to trust them that they're going to be able to adapt and use the systems that we're putting in place. And if they trust the relationship and doesn't mean they have to agree with us 100% of the time, but if they, but you need to be able to trust people even to have some sort of contention. There are times when you disagree, but if you have that trust, then you can usually work through those issues more than if it's just adversarial or if it's this person's not listening I mean, that's going to be a case closed and a shutdown every time.
1: Right, exactly. Great insights, Tom. So let's take a step back. So Tom, how did you start out? How did you to get to be a technologist and now a CIO of a national organization?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the interest in programming, right? Computer programming went back to my high school days, right? You know, I always had sort of an aptitude towards math and things like that. And, you know, my parents kind of said, hey, this is something you should uh, look at a little bit. And I kind of, kind of said, okay, that's back then I was kind of uh, Impressionable. And I said, "Let's let's take a look." And they got me the you know the first uh, computer, which I'm going to date myself by telling you it was a TRS-80, which belongs in a computer nice. museum now. <laughs> but I started doing some elementary programming, and I found that I liked it. You know, it was fun to create these applications and simple little programs and trying to build on some of those things that I had done. And based on that, I ended up going to Bryant University here in Rhode Island, where I had majored in business administration. But the focus, there were certain concentrations there, and it was computer information systems. So this really has been my path the entire time. I spent four years getting my degree there and doing some internships, starting off with the state of Rhode Island, and then getting into my first couple of years. I spent writing software for mortgage bankers in the banking industry, which was Fairly interesting, right? I think how they would, you know, sell their mortgages in the secondary markets and, you know, how they would uh, manage all of that data was actually a pretty interesting process to see. But It is. yeah, it really is. The financial, you know, background was was good, and it actually was helpful as I got further down in my career. But I would say the vast majority of my career has been working with uh, manufacturing organizations, and you know, starting back, going back to the 90s, working for companies, and it's all been Rhode Island, right? So we've had some good companies here that have been able to adapt what I'm trying to do. But you know, working with companies that manufacture things, and you know, I started off working with electronics manufacturer, and then I spent 23 years before coming here to NACA, working for a company that did uh, automotive interiors. And you know it was you know, challenging industries and sometimes the uh, deployment of technology was uh, you know always a challenge, right? I think you, you'd move a company from a position where they were kind of u- looking at as a utility or keeping the lights on to hopefully making it more of a competitive advantage. Not always an easy transition to make. you, you have certain tiers that you get through to get there. But I think a lot of time working on application development in those areas, working with some really great teams who taught me a lot when it came to the manufacturing processes or costing of items or distribution of items. And, you know, that role kind of evolved into managing more of an IT team that manages those roles, both on the application and the infrastructure and the analytics side of things. Like I said, you know, 23 years in automotive, it's a challenging industry to work in. There's some very, very demanding customers. And trying to meet those goals and objectives was uh, you know, always uh, a challenge for us. And it took some really good leadership and not just IT leadership, but the executive leadership and the VPs and the managers and directors and even the frontline teams to adapt and adopt all of that technology to get us forward. It cannot be done in a vacuum, cannot be done in a silo of IT. It really needs to be getting those teams involved. And I've been lucky in that regard. And in the latest uh, position here at Natco, it's a a very similar situation where I think we're working with the business units to try to advance us. And I think we're all, you know, hopefully moving in the same direction and, uh, you know, managing a little bit bigger company, a little bit bigger team. But, uh, you know, the the objectives are, are still, you know, very much clear and very much the same. How we get there has changed quite a bit. But the objective is really trying to get past that, keep the lights on stage. And we've definitely gone past that, but we still see lots of areas and opportunities for us to get better.
1: Yeah, i look forward to, like I said, learning more about that. But what's one of the most important things that you've learned over the course of your life and what was life like before learning it and after like learning it?
0: So, you know, I said initially, you know, being a good listener, but I think it kind of goes to a plummet of who you're listening to. So I've had some good mentors, right? I think people that have really understood the businesses and, and the processes that I'm in and the ability to identify those key people who you can really learn a lot from. Again, I think, you know, hearing what they have to say and understanding why things are done a certain way and what their perspective is. You know, I go back to a couple of positions back where I had to work with a terrific financial team, right? And we spent a lot of time understanding how items were costed and the impact of having correct costs and having your integration between your finance teams and your engineering teams and correct and accurate data, right? To be able to manage the systems and the product. Processes, but not just looking at it as bits and bytes, but translating that to what's happening out on the factory floor and why these things are happening and saying, hey, this big process that we put together, when you take a look at the actual operations on the plant floor operations and how that all comes together and understand that hey, this is why we're profitable on this. So this is why we're not profitable on this. And, you know, hearing those perspectives and then also kind of the, the contention between you know that and some of the operations teams who think things should be done a little differently in trying to understand how it all integrates because it's not, we're using the tools, not just to manage the, at the end of the month, the financial systems, but the operational piece as well. We got to the point where we were working on some terrific projects for IoT, right? We were trying to integrate the operations on the floor to our backend systems to analyze the financial impact directly with data we're getting off of our machinery. So the ability to do those kind of things uh, happened after I listened to a lot of people who are really good at what they do, you know, without me having those mentors and those people who Really shaped the way I thought about these kind of things and gave me some great input, but allowed me also to give my input, which I think at times, you know, could have been pretty valuable, and they seem to reflect it based on uh, my working with them. You put those pieces together, and you can come up with something that can be really special. I think some of the areas that we worked on, you, you look back on it a little bit and you say that that was, you know, it was, it was a really great accomplishment. But you still want to prove yourself more the next time.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think I hear a always be learning, right? <laughs> And I personally, I have a mentor, business coach. I have a whole cabinet of people that I try to to do that with. So having somebody who can really hold up that mirror, I think is incredibly important.
0: You have to NIT a little bit. There are times when you do need a bit of a thick skin. I think you need to be able to take the criticism because there are a lot of people touching the systems that you work on every day. And you have to understand that, you know, we are not working off in some corner. Everything we do is going to touch many people. So you're not going to make everyone happy every time, but you need, again, you need to kind of go back and listen to what they're saying, even when they're critical, right? And not become defensive and try to learn from that become better. I think that's a very important part. And uh, it's been a learning experience for me at times. I think that is definitely a lesson that has come over time.
1: For all of us. And I think listening and that communication, because sometimes things are going to happen. They're unavoidable for whatever reason, because you're reliant on some person place or thing that you couldn't control but you know what's wrong you know how to fix it you know how long it's going to take like am I properly communicating that with my business partners like that's my responsibility right Right. so yeah that's good insight there how about um a time that sticks out in your mind a time I mean we've all had a, a ton of failures right I know I've learned to come from, is there a time that you failed over the course of your career that sticks out in your mind as something that you took like a really great lesson away from?
0: You know, I think it's actually something that happened fairly recently. You know, I had spent quite a bit of time as VP of IT and then later CIO in one company. And then when I was had an opportunity to join where I am now at Natco, one of the things that doesn't happen every day is you take over a project mid-flight, right? So that is something you come into a project and it is, it's is—it's not mid-flight, the landing wheels are down. You're almost ready to hit the runway. And I think one thing, significant ongoing project that, that was occurring here, and it was very close To completion we thought right and i think i was less hands-on initially i was really trying to learn the organization and people and the processes and at the end of the day i ended up kind of putting the brakes on the project probably a little later than i should have but we ended up going back and really looking at the whole project management of how the implementation of a couple of uh, modules within our platform were going and we had to sort of stop the project recalibrate the whole process and then started back up again. I think that was probably something I should have done a little bit sooner. Again, you know, I haven't changed jobs frequently, so picking up a significant project in mid-flight is not something, you know, usually I was involved from A to Z on all my projects, right? So I felt very comfortable about the project management process and how everything was done and the team around me and how they were responding and, you know, meeting their objectives and how I was managing that team. So I think that's one thing that I learned that you need to come in and really evaluate everything. I think just because something may be considered 80 or 90% of the way there, you probably, because of the size and the scope of the project, which was probably a moderate sized project, but still enough that it really should have had a review from day one. Interesting.
1: Yeah, that's good. All right. So before we get into a little bit more about Natco, favorite book or literary piece, either that you're reading currently, recently, or all time?
0: Your choice. Yeah. You, know, it's t- you know, I do read like a lot of the classic management books and, you know, we read stuff like the Phoenix Project, the Unicorn Project, when you with George Kim and, you know, some of the agile, right? I just, <laughs> yeah, it's, on, it's on my bookshelf too. Yeah. So, you know, I think when you take a look at that and yeah, I think those are some great books and I love the way they do that, you know, it kind of all goes back to a, a book called The Goal. I think that's one of the classic <laughs> business books, uh, especially when it comes to manufacturing, the, the theory of constraints and Dr. Goldratt's theories about uh, lean manufacturing. I think those were really good books to read. And, you know, those those are kind of the old classics. I think those still have value today. And the interesting approach with George Kim was that he applied it to... IT and the world of uh, DevOps, right? And we're not a big development operations group here. We have a group of developers. We're, you know, small to mid-sized business here. So we don't have hundreds of application developers, but we have some And there are definitely elements of those kinds of books that you you say, yeah, that that would actually work here. Or you think maybe that's not quite the fit here. And I think those are the kind of things you try to to glean from some of this stuff. I think that, you know, if, if I can get a couple of good things from whatever I'm trying to read is a win for me. Right. You know, if I can come up with one good idea, that's great. It's kind of more fun when you look at some of those books that are almost more a novel style instead of uh, you know, just a technical list of, of uh, things that you should be doing or things that have succeeded in the past. It's an interesting way to do that. So, yeah, I think uh, those are the kind of things that we look at you know a lot. But you know, we're always try- I always try to have at least one uh, going, although I think right now I do not. I think uh, we finished up a couple and I'll probably uh, try to find something new.
1: You want a recommendation? I
0: would love a recommendation.
1: Andy Lodato's fostering innovation, how to build an amazing IT team. It sounds like you you have plenty of experience in building an IT team, but really brilliant book. And I've recommended it to a lot of CIOs who are time-tested CIOs and everybody really gets a lot out of it. So.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. That's actually the kind of thing you talk to your colleagues, you know, there's a round table for the, a group of CIOs in Rhode Island and they, they meet every Friday and I try to attend as much as possible and topics like this come up all the time. What are you reading? What is the, the latest, you know, article you read or the latest book you've read? And it's a great group of people. We try to get together in person for a periodic, every period to talk about this as well, but it, it's great to do that. So, I mean, hearing this from you could be something I'll read it and then I'll if I like it, which sounds like it's got some value there. I'll probably recommend it to that group. Excellent.
1: And the Phoenix project, like I grew up building computers, i coded and programmed here and there, but like, I'm not a developer and we are not a DevOps shop, but that concept, like you're saying, I mean, it's very like applicable. It's universal
0: in in some regards. Exactly. You get the requirements here and then six months later, you you build something. Well, if you were doing incremental uh, releases of the product, that feedback loop would be much faster and your product at the end would be much stronger. So right. And some people
1: just don't even like have feedback loops at all. And it's such a simple thing.
0: Yeah. No, you think, why wasn't it done so much longer ago? But you look at it and, you know, it does make sense to build that feedback loop, you know, wasting business units time, the developers time, you're really hopefully becoming more efficient and the outcomes are becoming stronger and faster. Right.
1: Very cool. So let's transition to talking a little bit more about where you are today. You're the CIO of Natco. What's your vision for the organization? What are some key initiatives you're focused on? Obviously, you've come in, been there a little bit, but I'm sure you're still kind of ramping up. So talk to us a little bit more about that.
0: You know, I think it's kind of what I touched on earlier is making IT more of a competitive advantage, right? We're in the small, mid-sized business space. We're not a small company, but we're not a Fortune 500 company. We're in that sweet spot where many companies are. You have hundreds of millions and you're looking at a thousand people that are employed here. So it's a good sized company, but it's also somewhere where you do have to be uh, very careful with resources and where you focus and where you spend money. But I think trying to position IT as a competitive advantage, right? I think not just keep the lights on, but are we able to help the real decision makers when it comes to, you know, the sales or operations or finance get to their decisions faster and more sound? And those kinds of tools that weren't here before, right? We had a a good transactional processing system, but that layer on top of it to get good information out of all this data, which I consider a goldmine of data, but we really weren't mining it, right? We weren't getting what we needed out of it and helping these key people make uh, decisions faster. I think the other thing that we're seeing a little bit is using some of the tools within IT to position the business a little stronger. So we're working with one of our trading partners now to develop some APIs so that we have more of a direct connection into their system, which in turn, when they're selling, will rank our products higher on their platforms, right? So you're using IT to hopefully generate top line instead of getting costs savings or gain efficiencies, this actually can help the top line, which is a terrific project for us to work on, because a lot of times we are focused mostly around efficiencies and cost savings, which are obviously great things as well. But when you get to impact the top line, that's something that we get to right away, that those are the top of the list typically.
1: So are your, are netcos customers distributors of those well obviously you're a distributor but are they the shops that ultimately sell those They are
0: they are we we okay. deal a lot with a lot of the big box retailers and a lot of the online presence so we are entrenched with those customers and it's some of the, the bigger ones too so i think they can be uh, very demanding to work with again i spent a lot of time in automotive but this is just as challenging they have a lot of requirements that they demand upon their suppliers. And it's an effort in in some instances to to meet those. But I think we're trying to uh, position ourselves a little bit differently. Yes, we are actually trying to hit the request. If there's, You'll see that you can either do A or B, but B is preferable. A lot of times in the past, we may have said, well, we'll take the path A because we know that path and we're very comfortable. Well, now we're trying to become a little bit more aggressive and take that path that will lead to more opportunities for us.
1: Yeah, 100% we talked a little bit about this, but what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now as an organization?
0: As an organization, well, I mean, as an organization, I think because a significant part of our business is uh, importing as well as manufacturing uh, supply chain issues, right? So like everyone else where we do see that things are loosening up a little bit and things are starting to not normalize, but definitely, and I don't want to say easing up, but they definitely improve from where they were six months or a year ago. But they're still challenging. They're still very challenging for us. So, you know, I look at that and I try to pull out how can we use our systems to try to manage some of these processes a little better? We know supply chain and IT are are very much intertwined, and we have a couple of different platforms that we use to manage the supply chain. And looking at it, it's they're good platforms, but you have to go to platform A to get some data, platform B to get some data, and you have to look at our back end system to get the rest of the data. Well, we were able to, and we're just rolling it out now, is integrate these systems into some analytics and dashboards. So we have a cross-section of all data, and it will really, and I'm a big believer in exception reporting. So when things are running normally, that's great. I really need to know when things are not running normally. And I'm a big believer in the old green, yellow, red metrics, right? When things are green, that's terrific. When it's yellow, you got to stop and take a look at it. And when the metrics turn red, you got to stop and everything and try to address it. And that's how we're trying to approach this. It's a fairly simple approach, but we're aggregating all the data into one dashboard where you can drill into it. Hey. These are the supply chain issues that we're looking at. These are our ocean containers that are being impacted. And these are the customers that it's touching. Now you need to act on this. And instead of the reaction being, you know, days or weeks, I'm hoping we can compress that down to a day or hours.
1: Very cool. You guys built that in the cloud, and then are using like a tool to, to visualize the data? Yeah, or... the
0: cloud, we're using uh, Microsoft Power BI. I had spent you know, many years working on BI platforms. I, I, my last position, we were a big Oracle shop and heavily involved in the Oracle tech stack, database, application server, the Oracle e-business ERP suite and their BI applications, all very terrific applications. I think all the way around very broad, deep and functional. When I came here, we're uh, heavily invested in the product lines from Infor and their tech stack and a little more mature products, but uh, they definitely have some good offerings. And around the BI, they had some offerings as well. We took a look at it, but we felt that Microsoft was the best, most robust, most versatile platform for us. And we're very happy we went that route. This is an area and we rolled that out probably in the last year and we've gotten terrific traction there. I think we're getting to a point where people kind of expect the data much faster. Now, you know, prior to this, there was a lack of robustness with some of our reporting systems and you had to go into different systems and export data and put it in Excel and run your V lookups and your pivot tables. And if you want the same report next week, you got to go through the whole process again. Right. So we've really built a, a really strong data warehouse that we're continuing to grow. But we're using the Microsoft Power BI and Microsoft Cloud Technologies to power that. And the ability to get this kind of stuff wherever you are, on your mobile device, it's gotten really good traction here. I think the visualizations are great, but the ability to drill deeper into it much easier than we had in the past is also something we're, we're getting some good feedback from the teams on. Oh, that's awesome. You know, um, the, the only problem with that is they're asking for a lot more, a lot faster now, which is a good thing. It's a good problem. That, right. Yeah, that but is. you know, sometimes when you get that, you got to prioritize and you're going to make some people unhappy because you can't get to theirs first. But the good thing is, a lot of people have embraced it here that came from, you know, a background of a little bit less robust technology, and they can see some of this. So Now, the floodgates have kind of opened a little bit in some regards, So, which is terrific. It's Now, it's up to me to manage my resources and the priorities, but also, again, going back to listening to where they think their priorities are. And there are times when there's some contention, and that's when we have to address that, hey, this unit, business unit wants this, this wants this. Tom looks at both of them. I said, I think this is more important, but we may have to come to some sort of agreement on that as long as your project that we're, we're doing second doesn't get dropped off the table. All
1: right. Very wow. cool. Any uh best practices that you and your team are following that you haven't mentioned already? Because you've mentioned at least a few that we'd want to cover.
0: Yeah, I think you know one of the things that uh, I'm a strong believer in as well is a product a process called micro learning, right? I think that's something I try to take advantage of here. And what it is is trying to educate, especially the users, and especially around the area of security awareness. It's such a critical topic. It's kind of one of the my four pillars of IT. You have functionality, you have value to what you're buying, you have sustainability, but security is one of those four pillars that holds everything up. But it's also probably the most difficult for the users because we're throwing a lot of information at them and we could lose them in some of the noise. But I think the approach that works best and the approach that I've taken is micro learning. Every, we do a a weekly update from IT that goes out to every user and every week it contains a couple of different elements and call it Tech Tuesday. So it goes out to the entire user community and it's maybe a couple of general interest articles based on, hey, we're running Microsoft Teams, got a couple of new features, this is what it looks like or... Make sure you patch your iOS devices because this is a security flaw. We also try to offer a couple of tips. Maybe a user has, and a lot of users have recommended tips. There's an Excel tip. That's a great tip, and we'll share that with the team. And we focus on a mobile application every week. Typically, it's you know a product that we run that we said you can get this on a mobile device. But at its core, this weekly update contains a small section about security awareness and what are the latest concerns and threats and what you need to do, not just to protect us as a business, but to protect yourself personally as well, right? I think that's just as important. We know that we are at risk because the business and the intellectual property and proprietary information, but those same practices can be applied in a lot of cases to your personal data. And I think I try to position it like that. You're protecting the company, but I do put a lot of things in there. This is the way to protect yourself as well. But we do it in small doses. We've also done a lot with our security awareness training provider. We used No before. It's a great platform for security awareness training, but Proofpoint, I've used them as well, and they have some good products. And they have some longer and some shorter learning. And we've found that to be very successful. Before we deployed any of the training or the micro-learning and we had done some testing of our users, and we were getting hit with users clicking on about 29.5% of the phishing tests, right? Which, if yeah, it, it seems like a high number, but when you look at small to sized business in manufacturing distribution, we're kind of in line, right, with what they're right. saying. Then we rolled out our security awareness training along with the smaller micro learning that we do consistently and a week. It, it is every week, so we do this consistently. And then, you know, you look at the results six to nine months later, and we went from 29.5% to about four and a half percent. That is a staggering drop. So that's a terrific, yeah, that's a terrific metric to report on. I love reporting that one. But again, even one breach can cause a problem, but you can see that the micro learning that I believe in, seems to be resonating with the users. If you're going to give them pages and pages or hours and hours of video to go through, it's not going to resonate. It's part of our onboarding now. We do a couple of security awareness trainings a year, but they're not very long. Right now, we're wrapping up our security assessment, which is like a 20-question process that we send out to our users. Really, it's not testing them so much, but it's really looking to see where our training for 2023 is going to be. Where do we need to focus? We've done a good job in this area, but we still need to improve in this area. And we'll start at the end of this year trying to tailor the training to that. And the microlearning, the weekly updates I get will be more tailored to that. While not forgetting everything else, hopefully, but it's been a pretty consistent message of mine. I hope they don't get tired of it, but it's something that, you know, we're not going to stop doing. It's, it's uh, constantly evolving, that's for sure.
1: Very cool. How about any innovative technologies that you're really excited about? I mean, we went out over the data analytics platform that you guys are just built, but any other innovative technologies that you're excited about that will support the business vision of the organization?
0: You know, I think building on top of the analytics, right? I think we definitely want to, and we're starting to take a look at how like machine learning and AI can look at our data, like everyone else, right? Everyone's looking at this and what can we get out of this data? We have a very strong repository of transactional data. We see that it can give us value in the BI space, but what are we not seeing, right? Can this help us in any way? So like everyone else, we don't want to get left behind. We want to make sure that we're at least keeping up with the others that are doing this. And we think, you know, maybe others in our space, we want to be ahead of them. We know that maybe some of the Fortune 500 groups that kind of compete in our space are probably already there. Maybe the people in our Space are not quite there yet. We want to be leading that pack. And, you know, the small guys, probably not as much, but they can be more nimble, too. They may be doing some of this. So we want to see what can we unlock further from this data? What are we not seeing that we could be seeing in terms of forecasting or trending that we're missing right now? I think that's a big area for us. I'm kind of convincing that C-level and the executive suite that data is one of our most valuable, if not the most valuable commodity that we own. I think we have a good group here now that does understand that and kind of understands technology. And they really are trying to move us in that direction along with me. Obviously, I'm leading the charge, but they seem to have good involvement and good understanding of what we're trying to get to. I think other technologies I can potentially see some value in, but I don't know if they're fully baked for us yet, would be things like augmented reality. When we are working with our manufacturing processes, I'd love to see like an equality and inspection area when you're looking at different attributes on the product that you're measuring for. An interesting thing would be maybe to have some sort of AR pop up and say, these are the attributes for this product that you're looking for, and you can measure against them. That's an area I've thought about for a while, Um, has not come to fruition yet, but I do see that being on my roadmap when you look at it. Very big when I was in the automotive space, uh, trying to look at something like that. I think that's a big area. And I, I think a lot of people have made penetration into IoT. And we have not done that as much here yet. I think we can also have a goldmine of data that is untapped at this point. I did a lot more work in my prior position with that, You know, right. with, the ability, with the ability even for the equipment to to shut down the machinery, alert a mechanic or an operator, and then even open the service ticket on its own without any human interaction. That's the kind of thing that we were working on before. I said that we were getting a tidal wave of data and we were starting to scoop it out with spoons because we were just starting to get in on, on the very beginning level of that. But I think we have some significant potential there.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, because I was going to ask you kind of about the future of the industry, but you kind of touched on a couple of those exciting new trends. Any other big opportunities you're expecting for organizations like NatCo in the future, or or do you see any changes in the industry happening?
0: You know, I think one of the things that you see is that maybe, again, for the consumer point, maybe using some sort of via virtual reality or augmented reality to put our products in their home, right? This is what our Mm -hmm. rug looks like. What would it look like on your floor with your furniture around it? I think would be a, a really terrific opportunity. I think we have a lot of imaging and, and attributes and dimensions and a lot of product information data that could potentially translate to something like that. You know, you kind of see some of the big guys doing that now, and I don't see why we couldn't at least uh, think about doing something like that to differentiate ourselves from, you know, like I said, the the competitors in our space. That would be terrific, right? I can take a look at it, what it looks like in my living space before I actually put the credit card down to buy it. And uh, hopefully it, it looks good and you want to get to them.
1: Yeah, we're coming up on time here. I mean, I'll look forward to talking to you offline about a couple of these things because this is very cool stuff. But we'd like to wrap the episode up by asking if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self?
0: Well, that's, that's a great question. So I'd probably go back a little bit further than that. And again, probably that very first thing we talked about is really becoming better listeners sooner, right? Trying to, at the at, when you're a little bit younger, you may say you think you know a lot of the answers to a lot of the questions or become a little bit more defensive. This is the right way to do it. And, you know, it took a while to learn that. And I think getting there sooner would have been better. I think listening to the people around me and especially the mentors around me. Which I said it wasn't wasn't like it took forever to learn, but again I would say that hey that would have been better if it happened a little bit sooner because there's a ton of valuable information from people that are looking at things from different perspectives outside of IT you know outside of you know some of these other core business units that we deal with on a day to day basis they have given me some of my best insights that I've ever gotten right and trying to think about things the way they would need to see them has given me a perspective uh, yeah let's let's kind of marry that up with you know my background in IT and then try to drive their decision-making process a little easier. So it kind of, a lot of it goes back to that.
1: Yeah, it's great advice. Tom, it was an absolute pleasure having you on this afternoon. Thank you so much for taking the time.
0: No, thank you very much for having me on. It It was a pleasure, thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to everyone else, thanks for tuning in. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators, Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, Please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.